Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. We'll begin with two scripture lessons, first from Hebrews 11 and then from Matthew 9. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval, and by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen and was made from things that are not visible. And then from the Gospel of Matthew 9, verses 20 through 22. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him, being Jesus, and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if only I could touch his cloak, I would be made well. And Jesus turned, seeing her, said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Again, let us pray. Holy God, we do give thanks for your word, these words of scripture, which are ancient and yet are still very much full of life and light and filled with your spirit. And so as we read these scriptures today, as we reflect on these scriptures, we ask that you would be at work in them, that you would be at work in us, writing these words on our hearts, calling us and challenging us to follow you more closely. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, very good. I mentioned to you to begin the service that we have our confirmands, who are mostly sixth graders, are on their confirmation treat uh, up at Mount Eagle. And so Reverend Chase is with them, uh, and he sent us a couple of photos yesterday. And so I thought I would share those pictures with you. And you, you probably know and recognize some of those students, but with uh, Chase on the top photo... And then in the photo beneath there are their parents or guardians uh, and adult mentors. So there's a good chunk of our church who is not with us today. Many of those folks would be in this service even uh, because they're up at Mount Eagle. Does Mount Eagle mean anything to you? Have you been to Mount Eagle? Would you raise your hand? A few of you? Not too many. Mount Eagle's kind of far from here, so it's not as convenient. But Mount Eagle is the Arkansas Conference Retreat Center, uh, and it's just outside of Clinton. So if you go toward the the south side of Greer's Ferry Lake, it's kind of over in that area. Uh, It's been there about 20 or 30 years, and they've they've got one big main lodge uh, that they're standing on there. Uh, There's another smaller lodge, and then there are a number of cabins, and then there's a home there. We actually have staff people that live there year-round that schedule things and run retreats, and so... Uh, as our as our recipients were saying, uh, so many things have been uh, off off uh, line the last couple of years, and, and Mount Eagle probably hasn't been used as much as it usually is. Uh, but we're glad to have our group of people up there, and, and I know they're enjoying themselves. They are going to leave a little bit early this morning. Those storms are coming across the state, and so they're going to leave around lunchtime so they can get out ahead of those. What is confirmation? Well, confirmation may be a really common theme or word or topic to you. You may understand what that means. You may have been around churches that do confirmation most of your life. But, but if not, I'll just remind you, uh, confirmation is a dedicated season uh, for kind of young adults, maybe tweens, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. I mean, you can do it a lot of different grades. But it's a dedicated season where, where students or young believers are set apart and they are being prepared for their own profession of faith and sometimes to be baptized, right? And so you can imagine we've had these students, these children in children's ministry. Some of them were baptized as babies. Maybe some of them were baptized as young children. But they're getting that age where they're starting to think and do things and believe things for themselves. And so we believe it's important, and many churches like ours believe it's important 
to give them a special opportunity uh, to learn the, the core tenets of Christianity, uh, to learn the key beliefs that make us United Methodists, and to be prepared to make a profession of faith for themselves, right? That they believe for themselves, right? I want you to see how this kind of correlates with other things that are going on here in the church. We often do confirmation in the spring, uh, and we, of course, have right now this season called Lent in the spring, right? Lent are the 40 days before Easter in the church tradition, and Lent was also a season that was set apart for maybe new believers or young believers to spend some time in dedicated reflection and teaching, often in preparation for their baptism. Right? So what we're doing in confirmation with these young students and what we're doing in the season of Lent is a really, really ancient thing. It's an ancient thing. It's been going on for many generations that when young people were prepared to be baptized or prepared to make a public profession of faith, there would be this dedicated season, in this case the season before Easter, where they would be allowed this time, this special opportunity to, to learn again the most important things we believe and to, and to dedicate themselves as we look to celebrate on Easter Sunday. Why 40 days in the season of Lent? Well, Lent, of course, um, is, is a tradition within the church. It's not something that comes out of Scripture in the most technical way, but it very much is informed by Scripture, right? The, 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 the 40 number itself occurs a lot in Scripture. We think about Noah and the flood. We think about Elijah fasting for 40 days. Uh, when Jesus is resurrected, he appears to the, the disciples for 40 days. But specifically, when we think about Lent, uh, we think about Jesus' own time in the wilderness, in the desert. Luke 4 tells it this way. After Jesus had been baptized, he was full of the Holy Spirit, which is a great description. And he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing at all during these days. And when they were over, he was famished. Famished, right? This is part of where our Lenten traditions come from. Jesus himself, he kind of removed himself from his daily practices, his daily obligations. He went out into the wilderness for 40 days, and he ate nothing, right? And so the church kind of adopted that as a model. In this season of pre pre preparation for Easter, that we would spend 40 days, we're probably not going to eat nothing, uh, right? Yeah, I probably haven't been doing that myself, but, but we might spend some time fasting, right? Fasting from a meal or a particular habit or a particular food, we might spend some time in special attention and, and particular dedication to a service or an act, a, a discipline, right? And we kind of think if Jesus did it, right, in preparation for his ministry, then maybe it might be helpful for us to do that as well, right? So I want you to see how all those things are coming together. Our students are at confirmation. They're preparing to make public professions of faith. We're beginning the season of Lent where we're kind of rededicating and refocusing ourselves before we celebrate on Easter Sunday, Part of the season of Lent, then, is often kind of built around uh, a teaching theme, right? Uh, just like our confirmands are going to spend a few weeks, and they've spent this retreat learning some core tenets of the faith, uh, often we do that in Lent, right? We kind of return to, like, what are some of the most basic and important things we believe, right? And so that's what we're going to be doing. You can see there in your bulletin, on the front of the bulletin, and you can see uh, there it's been in the newsletter for the last couple of weeks. We're beginning today a sermon series where we're going to use the Apostles' Creed, uh, as a lens to think about and to preach about and to reflect upon the things that are most important to us as Christians. Now, we don't necessarily use the Apostles' Creed or any creed uh, in this service every week. And so this may be kind of new to you. You might not have grown up hearing about the Apostles' Creed or using the Apostles' Creed 
And so I want to teach you about why that's important and why we continue to have these creeds in our Christian tradition. Okay, so today a little bit of teaching about where the creed comes from and then a little bit of teaching about the first, really the first word of the creed. Uh, and then we'll celebrate communion. And then over the next five weeks, we'll kind of continue to work through the creed using scripture as a guide as well. Okay, first thing you should know, this will be a kind of a teaching sermon. So if you want to take some notes or if this is something that's of interest to you, maybe something you want to look up more after the service is over. Uh, first thing you should know about the Apostles' Creed, which is printed there on the front of your bulletin. First thing you should know about the Apostles' Creed is it is the oldest and the most simple of all of our creeds. It's the most simple of all of our creeds. If you've been in other services, maybe even other churches, you'll know that there are other creeds, there are lengthier creeds, but the Apostles' Creed is the oldest and the most concise. Our historical records indicate that the early earliest versions of the creed, some of the earliest versions, go back to the 140s, right, 140s. So just think about your historical math there a little bit. Jesus put to death in the 30s, the Gospels written in the 70s, John maybe written latest like 100, and then the creed being used as, as early as 140. Why would that be necessary? Well, the main reason it's necessary and the reason that it was so important then is that, that not everyone had a Bible, right? Uh, you can't overstate how much our own Bibles, these bound leather Bibles with all those study notes in it, that's a really misleading way uh, that most people received the faith and its traditions. In the earliest parts of Christianity, not everyone had a Bible, right? There were very few versions of Scripture. They were mostly written on papyri, and they were read aloud. Any one community might only have one version of the Scriptures, right? And so if you're trying to teach people about Christianity, but they don't have a resource themselves, then you need something that they can learn, that they can memorize, that they can recite. And so it appears to be the case that the creed was developed very early on to say these are the most important and the most basic things we believe. Right? Imagine, first, second century Rome, Jerusalem, no Bible, no modern technology, no internet, no hymnal. Right? People needed something they could keep in their mind. And almost anyone could memorize the Apostles' Creed. And so we have very early evidence that the creed was being used to prepare for baptism, to prepare young believers to make a profession of faith. It's used as a summary of the Christian faith. It's used to avoid inadequate theology. And it's used as a communal proclamation. Does that Christian, does that bother you? That's my own notes there. X for Christ. Does that bother any of you? Or are you freaking out about that? Uh, the Greek letter chi is an X. And the Greek letter chi is the first word of Christ, right? Uh, and so chi is a short version for Christ. So I'm not, it's not heresy, okay? This is just Christian note taking, all right? So the creed is very old. And it's used to summarize the Christian faith and to help young believers to memorize. What, what is it that we believe? Well, it's right here in this creed. I want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of vocabulary words that you may hear elsewhere and, and kind of what they mean. Uh, what we're talking about today is a creed. A creed is a doctrinal summary, and it's used as a proclamation in worship. You may hear other churches or other traditions talk about a confession. And when they talk about a confession in this sense, they're not talking about a confession of sin. They're talking about a particular tradition, right? So there's like a Westminster confession. There's a Presbyterian confession. That just means the differences in the way in which de uh, denominations or traditions believe. And then the other word that you should know that kind of goes with this is catechism, right? And catechism just means a summary or a time of education and training in Christian principles, doctrine, scripture, and ethics, right? So confirmation is a catechism, right? It's a set-apart time where people would learn uh, and be taught the core tenets of the Christian belief. What we're going to do the next six weeks with the Apostles' Creed is a catechism, right? It just means that we're spending some dedicated time uh, learning the things that are most important to Christianity. Are you guys vibing with me on this? you tracking with me? Is this good? Yeah? All right. 
kind of can't really tell, but all right, all right. All right, so the very first thing that the Apostles' Creed says, the very first thing that it says, and it's on the front of your bulletin there, the very first thing we say when we say the Apostles' Creed is, I believe, all right, I believe, I believe. Now, in our modern hubris, we tend to think that kind of the most uh, contemporary thought or the most original thought is the best thought, right? It's kind of like our technology. What's the latest technology? What's the greatest advancement? That's the thing we really want to know. And that makes us sometimes a little bit skeptical of things in the past, things that are 50 years old or so dated and so wrong, right? Things that are 150 years old, that's like ancient history, right? The creed is almost 2,000 years old. It's almost 2,000 years old, almost as old as Christianity itself. And so when we get up and say, I believe... We're not actually saying something original, and we're certainly not saying something contemporary. We're saying something very ancient, right? We're saying something very ancient. And we're kind of recognizing that though we live in 2022, we stand on the shoulders of, of many who have come before us. Lots of Christian wisdom that predates us. And so people have been saying, I believe, the Apostles' Creed, people have been saying this for centuries, for centuries. And so when we do that in worship, we're kind of doing something that's countercultural, right? Instead of reaching forward for the most advanced and most interesting thought, we're reaching backward. And we're trying to get all the way back to the most foundational thing. What's the thing we most believe, the thing we're most sure of? Well, here it is summarized for us, and it comes way before any of us ever thought of it ourselves. All right? What do we mean by I believe? Well, let's talk a little bit about that, okay? Believe. This is just one word in Greek, right? So the earliest versions of the creed would have been Greek. It's just one word, pistuo. So this is like Latin or Spanish where the I is conjugated in with the verb, right? So pistuo, I believe. That's the first word in the Apostles' Creed, and that's the first thing we say when we, when we say it. Well, the first thing we mean by believe is we, we like believe it intellectually, right? We know that there are many things in the world that we believe. There are many scientific facts that we've been taught. There are a lot of stories that we understand about the world. But when we get up and worship and share in the creed, we're saying that we believe this thing. We believe that there is a God. And we believe that this God created us. We believe that this God has a particular name, Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that this God redeemed us through the life and death and ministry of Jesus. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still among us within the church today. Now, you might sort of take that for granted because you're regular worshipers of, of, and you uh, participate in the Christian practices, but I want you to kind of realize how radical a thing that is we're saying. Right? That's not necessarily something the whole world believes. Right? And so each Sunday when we say the creed or each time we have a baptism when we say the creed, we're saying, look, we believe this to be true, that God exists and that God works in this way. The second thing we say when we say we believe is, is not only that we believe that God exists, but we're putting our trust in this God. I believe, I trust this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the God of love, and that this God cares for us, and that we want to live according to that grace. Today we read from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and you know these verses well, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So it's not just an intellectual ascent. It's not just a cerebral idea. It's not like, I believe that there is a God, and maybe that's interesting, or I believe that there are other galaxies, and maybe that's interesting. We're actually saying, I believe in this God. I trust in this God. I place my life in the hands of this God revealed in Jesus Christ. 
what else do we mean by believe? When we say I believe, we mean that we're making a commitment, right? I believe I'm going to live my life not just as if this God exists, not just as if this God is good, but I'm going to live my life like that, that means something, right? I'm going to make a commitment every time I say the creed, every time I remember the core tenets of the faith, that I'm going to live according to this good news. That's part of what we're doing in Lent, right? When we fast or we take on a particular service or a particular responsibility, we're trying to model our lives after this thing that I believe. And then lastly, when we say I believe, we mean we're going to be obedient at least as much as possible. When we say I believe, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, then we mean we're going to go out and we're going to live in the world in a particular way. And so we're kind of making that agreement with each other every time we share in the creed. I believe, I'm going to try to live this way. You believe, you're going to try to live this way. We're all going to try to live this way so that the world might know that this is who God is and what God is like. Pistuo, I believe. I believe with my head, I believe with my heart, I believe with my hands and with my feet. I believe. The last thing, if you're reading along in the little book that's available to you, it's called I Believe, Exploring the Apostles' Creed. Some of your Sunday school classes are using it. Some of you are just reading, reading it for yourselves. You're welcome to do so. Uh, the last thing that McGrath does in this chapter uh, is he talks about, and I was surprised to see this, he talks about John Wesley, right? the founder of the Methodist movement. And he quotes Wesley in his own journal, talking about his own sort of recognition. Even though he had been ordained and had been raised in the church and had been baptized, even been a, a pastor for a while, Wesley sort of has this breakthrough moment that we Methodists love to remember and to celebrate, right? Wesley says this in his own journal. While we were he was at, someone else was preaching and teaching. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed, that I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, an assurance given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And the point of that is, is though Wesley had been raised in a Christian home and had been baptized and had gone to seminary and had been a pastor, right, that the question of I believe, the reminder of the good news of who God is and the gospel that is not something that we outgrow, right? We do not outgrow the creeds. We don't outgrow the most basic tenets of the faith. These are the same lessons that are being taught to our confirmands at age 11, 12, 13. But it's not as if, though, you just learn them and move on. They continue to be made real to you throughout your life. Right? And sometimes there's a, there's a deepening, an awakening, a refreshing. Yes, this is true for me. And I believed it when I was 12, when I was confirmed, and I believed it when I was 20, but now at 30 or 40 or 50, I believe it even more, even more true today than it was back then. That's my hope for you over the next few weeks as we spend some time with this ancient creed, as we tie it to Scripture, that we would remember with great joy that God has saved us and that we place our full faith, our full trust, our full belief in this God and this God alone. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparagold.org. May God bless you this week.